If you, open, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them with me this morning to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that's perfectly fine. Uh, the passage will appear magically behind me in just a moment. Um, if you're visiting with us, we've been studying the book of 1 John, kind of what we do here at Ascension, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are in the home stretch of our study of this first century letter, having just two more weeks after today, and uh, I decided to just press on and finish 1 John, even though we've kind of entered into the season of Advent, we will do some reflection uh, on the coming of Jesus after we finish 1 John uh, but we're going to press on for the next couple weeks and wrap this letter up. This is a letter where John, the apostle, has been hammering home to God's people again and again some fundamental truths about what it means, what it looks like, how you can know that you are a Christian. How can you know that you have eternal life? And we've talked about again and again about these three signs that John gives. There's a doctrinal sign. We are people who believe the correct things about Jesus. There's a moral sign. We are a people who are committed to knowing what he asks of us and walking in obedience to his commands. And there is a social sign. We are a people who love his people, the church, the bride of Christ. And the way John writes, frustrating for a preacher, maybe fun for you guys, but the way John writes is he circles again and again to these signs comes back around to them. And so today we return to the sign of love for the third time. For the third time, love has been a major theme of this book. Of course, many of you know that, you who have grown up in the church, who have read the book of 1 John before. Love is a major theme in this book. Love in its verb form appears 28 times in the book. Love in its noun form appears some 18 times in the book. Over and over again, we hear about love. And in regards to loving one another, John wrote about it in chapter 2 when he talked about this old commandment that was a new one that wasn't really new, it was old. Remember, we talked about how we love each other like family as John addresses these different seasons of life. And then in chapter 3, he talks again about love. Our love needs to be a tangible love, a supernatural love. It's the opposite of what we see in the world, a world that hates. Though it sometimes our love, in the name of Christ, produces hate for us as his people. And we unpack that a little bit. So this call to love one another, we might say, find its crescendo here in this passage, in the latter half of chapter 4. This is a highly concentrated encouragement and exhortation from the apostle, and it isn't entirely new. It's stuff that we have heard before, at least if you've been here the last couple weeks. And yet... We're a people who are slow to learn, right? It's a people who are easily 
forgetful. I was reminded this week of what Paul wrote near the end of his letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians 3.1 where he writes, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. And so I once heard a preacher say that he was a preacher of same things. I declare myself as that this morning. I am a preacher of same things. You don't come here each week to hear something new, to hear something original, to hear some great innovation from Nate Hitchcock. You come here to be reminded of what you've been slow to learn or what you've simply forgotten in your flesh. And I say that not like you, you, you. I say that me, me, me. And so we turn this morning to 1 John chapter 4 to some of the same things which I trust in God's providence we need to hear again. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. It's our habit, our tradition at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word before it's proclaimed to you. So stand with me if you would. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 21. Picking up where we left off last week, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, John begins. Beloved is where I begin this morning. Beloved, those loved by God, love one another. That's what John is after in these verses. 
It's the bookends of the passage. He says it explicitly in verse 7. He says it explicitly again in verse 21. Love one another. And the love that John is speaking of is a love within the church. It's a love within the bride of Christ, the apple of God's eye. And so we've heard it before. We've wrestled with it a bit. I suppose we could just close our Bibles and be done with it this morning. But we're not going to do that because John reinforces what he said. He wants to reinforce those three words, love one another, by speaking specifically this morning about the ground of that love. And so that's where we're going to set our thoughts and our hearts on this morning. As we unpack this passage, as we meditate on it, three truths this morning guide us. And the first is this. God's nature requires that we love. God's nature requires that we love. I think I've already spoken about in this um, series. Maybe it wasn't in this series. I couldn't remember. It may have been with the high schoolers. I know I spoke about it with the high schoolers when we have spent some time with them this fall. I've spoken about these lawn creeds that we see in people's yards in our neighborhoods these days, right? You've seen these colorful lawn creeds. There are various iterations of these lawn creeds. Let me give you just one. In this house, we believe that love is love, science is real, water is life, we are all immigrants, black lives matter, and kindness is everything. Remember, the, you know, those... those those creeds. I'm not interested in unpacking all those statements and thinking about how to approach each of them biblically. Although as I thought about it, that would be an interesting and maybe helpful sermon series for us to do at some point. But I do want to focus on the first statement in that long creed. Love is love. It's the most unhelpful statement because it literally says nothing. It just floats out there. Now, of course, if you know your neighbor or if you read in between the lines of the other statements, you know what is behind that phrase. But even then, if you get the chance to talk to the sign holder in this front yard, you're going to be frustrated. What is the basis for that statement? you might ask. What does it look like to you, you might ask. How can you be so sure, you might ask. Love isn't just love. There is more. There is so much more. And John here in this passage begins to answer our questions about love by putting three words together in the most profound way. God is love. Now, of course, that in and of itself needs all sorts of qualification and explanation. We can't just leave that hanging out there either, right? 
One of my favorite musicians has those three words tattooed on his arm, and I'm pretty sure by looking at his life that he doesn't rightly understand it. And perhaps when you hear those three words, God is love, uh, you don't like them very much. They kind of sound a little wishy-washy. You kind of don't know what to do with them. And you'd be right if you were concerned about the fact that God is love is so often misinterpreted and misunderstood. And one of the ways we do this is by reversing the statement and saying love is God. God is love and love is God. But that's not what John is saying. That's not what John is talking about. You can't reverse the statement. John is talking about a personal God. It also does not mean that Love is all that God is. We believe in the simplicity of God, and His simplicity means that He holds all attributes in full, meaning He is not part love and part other things. He's not divided in that way. He doesn't love sometimes. He loves in everything that He does. And we must know who we're talking about. You all know who we're talking about, I think. You all know who John is talking about. John is talking about the triune God of the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That God is love. In fact, all love originates from the reality that God has eternally been giving Himself to others. And we've talked about this before. It's one of the most beautiful things about the doctrine of the Trinity. If you don't have a God who is triune, if you just have a a singular being in eternity past, then he he needs human beings because he's never really loved. But we believe that before time began, in the fellowship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was perfect mutual love being expressed between them. And Jesus says this explicitly in John 17, 24, when he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So when John says those three words, God is love, he is saying something immensely profound. In his gospel, in John chapter 4, he said that God is spirit. Earlier in this letter, he said that God is light. And now here, for the purpose of grounding and giving us the source of all love, he says that God in His very nature is love. Well, the implication is then, if you know this God, if you've been captured by Him, if you've been captured by this love, if you've been called to be His child, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, behold what manner of love that we should be called children of God, then you'll want to be like Him. You'll want to love like Him. He is the source. He is the standard. God's nature requires that we love. That's where John begins. And then he rolls right into our second truth this morning, and it's this. 
God's gift requires that we love. Not just God's nature, His very being requires that we love as we are made in His image, but the gift that He gives requires that we love. Now we're all about giving right now. We're in the season of giving. Why do we spend money on gifts? Why do we fight the crowds? Why do we pay the prices? Because we want our love to be expressed in a tangible way to those whom we love. God's love, John says, is not some abstract idea. It's not just some theological concept. It is a person. It is a life. It is a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. True, His love has existed for all eternity, but now it has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus, His Son. And so Paul couldn't help but exclaim in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And that's our response this morning. And so in verses 9 through 11, John simply presses in and presses home the gospel. The amazing grace of the love of God shown for us in the gift of Jesus. Let's just unpack those three verses. Verse 9, He sent His Son, His Beloved, whom He's been loving for all eternity, left the glory and His side in order to come to our earth. Exaltation for humiliation. He sent His Son, verse 9, into the world. Jesus experienced the the dirt and the clay and the brokenness and the ugliness of our earth for us. He sent His Son into the world, verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. In other words, God is the initiator in this whole process. It's all Him before we did anything, while we were still unlovely. Paul said to the Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe it was through His pursuit of you despite your godless upbringing. Maybe it was His pursuit of you through the covenant promises that you have grown up with and that have been yours all the days of your life. However God has been after you, He continues to pursue His own. He is the initiator. Verse 10, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now we've already talked about this rich word We've talked about the fact that it's a relational word. We talked about the fact that it was, this was back in chapter 2, verse 2. We talked about the fact that this is a word with the idea of wrath absorbing sacrifice bound up in it. Jesus is our sin bearer. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. And so John just unpacks and unfleshes the gospel for us in those three verses. And that word propitiation ties in with a statement that John makes 
down in verses 17 and 18 when he writes, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Here in our nation, in the past couple weeks, we've had some striking footage. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but we've had some striking footage of, of men, of accused men standing before a judge waiting to receive the verdict cast down upon them. You could, you could see the tension especially when you saw it released in the words, not guilty, and when you saw it balled up even tighter when those words guilty were passed down. All of us in this room will find ourselves in that scenario. Standing before the judge of all the earth, waiting to hear our eternal fate. Do we believe that? In that moment, there will either be great trembling or there will be confidence. And the only thing that can produce confidence that can throw away fear for His coming and fear of standing before Him is God's gift of love. A gift of love that we apprehend by faith and it becomes part of us. Showing itself then in the way that, that we love one another. Right? And that affects everything. That knowledge. I'm going to die. It's okay. So what? I know what waits. I'm going to stand before your, my Maker. I'm ready. It's okay. I have Jesus. And then not having the fear of judgment, but having that confidence ripples out into a fearless love for others. Right? Secure in who we are in God. There is no fear of man. At least there ought not be any fear of man. What can man do to me? So when we ask the question, how do we know that God loves us? We don't look to a list of of good things that are part of our lives, good things that He has given us. That's not an indicator. At times the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. At times the wicked have a lot and the righteous don't. How do we know God loves us? We know God loves us because we believe these things. Because we look to His gift. Because we live these things. We recognize the gift of Jesus given to sinners like us. And so God's gift requires that we love. And so John argues, how can we then not love one another? Verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Being reminded of the source and the ground of our love and now the proof of our love, there's one more truth I'd like us to unpack in these verses. And we might call it uh, the conduit of God's love. 
verses 12 through 21, here's the truth. God's love reaches its goal when we love. God's nature requires that we love. God's gift requires that we love. And God's love reaches its goal when we love. There's an interesting idea that John brings up in verse 12 and then again in verse 18. It's this idea of love perfected in us. Perfected in love. Now when we think about that word, we associate it with with being flawless, but That's not what John is saying here. The Greek word translated as perfected in verse 12 is the same word used of Jesus in John 4, 34, where we read this from Jesus' lips. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work or perfect his work. So the word translated here as accomplished could also be translated as perfected. In other words, John is not saying that our love will be pure, but that our love accomplishes the purposes of God's love. Here's the mind-blowing statement, kind of all wrapped in one. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created us out of the overflow of his love, of their love. Because God's desire was that we, made in his image, might love and be loved as the persons of the Godhead have loved and been loved for all eternity. This is what we were made for. This is what every woman child and man on planet earth was made for this is where life is found and so God's love is continuously active in his people one of the words that pervades this passage is the word abide abiding in God and God abiding in us that's not a chore for us but it's a reality brought to us by belief in Jesus and by the reception of his Holy Spirit as a result A reality of the Spirit in us, God's love made manifest in us that inevitably brings into our lives tenderness and love for one another, for the brethren, which further confirms that these things are true. And our response of love as we love one another shows God to the world. Back to verse 12. No one has ever seen God, John says, but if we love one another, then the unseen God is revealed in us, in his people. The end of verse 17. As he is, so also are we in the world. God's love reaches its goal when we love. Here's how one pastor put it. Perfected love is not just an incomplete idea or emotion or potential in the heart. It is completed, accomplished, put into action. 
So all of this, the ground and source of our love, the amazing gift of of Jesus that has made his love visible, and the reality of his love reaching its completion, its perfection, its accomplishment in and through us concludes with the end of verse 21. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So as we close, let's, let's bring this home. Let's ask the question, is the world seeing God through us? Is God's love being made manifest in the church? As we've talked about before, this is, this is hard but this is what we're called to. The imitation of Christ's love, the love that we just unpacked. We went through those verses, verses 9, 10, and 11. It's an incarnational love. It's an initiating love. It's a self-sacrificing love. And it's a love for the unlovable. Let's let the Holy Spirit for just a moment work on us with those four words. It's an incarnational love. It's a love that requires some sort of closeness. You've got to be proximate to others in order to love them. It's an initiating love. It doesn't just sit and wait. It doesn't keep score. Well, it's their turn. It initiates. It makes the first move. Maybe even the second move. Maybe even the 14th move. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's, It's a love that costs something. It's not easy or comfortable. And it's a love for the unlovable. Not necessarily the people that we naturally gravitate to, but the hard ones the difficult ones. Brothers and sisters, in a church that is fractured and isolated, polarized in opinions, this has never been harder for us to do. I'm not just talking about ascension, though I am. I'm just talking about the church. I encourage you to pick up one of those books that I introduced at the beginning of the service. Let me read you a quote out of, one of that, out of that book. See if this rings true in your experience. Christians liked each other a lot more before social media. Recent elections have been even more divisive. How can Christians worship alongside voters with such different priorities? Sure, Christians might share the same views on the Trinity, baptism, and even eschatology, but what good is that when we feel more in common with our political allies who might not even be Christians? That's the challenge that we have before us. And of course, you could leave and try to find a place where everyone votes like you and thinks about all current events as you think about current events. But brothers and sisters, that's not where you grow. 
And that's not how you grow. And I realize that I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. We learn to love like Jesus, incarnationally initiating, self-sacrificing the unlovable. We learn to love like Jesus when our feelings get hurt, when we don't understand, when we're not comfortable. I couldn't help but think of Paul's words in Ephesians. I mean, that's how the institution of marriage is supposed to be this powerful billboard for God's love. A Christian spouse isn't supposed to just throw in the towel like the world. No, but a Christian spouse uses conflict and misunderstanding to go deeper, to grow more. Now, I'm not saying that church membership is equal to marriage vows. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's never a good reason to leave a local church, but I am wanting us to be challenged by the kind of love that John has been pleading that we be about. A love from God at work in us that finds its intended expression as we love one another. Brothers and sisters, love one another. That's the message this morning. We began talking about yard signs. I got a new yard sign. I want to mark it. It's actually a church sign. Maybe we'll put it out front instead of our sandwich boards. In this house, in this church, we believe that God God is love and Jesus is God. Jesus has given himself that we might pour ourselves out for one another and make him and his purposes known. Inquire inside. That's a good sign. It's not a bestseller, but it's the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word from the Apostle John, your servant, carried to us by your Holy Spirit. Father, we confess our inability to love well our inability to reflect your nature, to live from your gift, to accomplish your purposes in us. And so we pray that you would use, Holy Spirit, these truths and this word this morning to do your work in each of us, growing us, making us better lovers of one another, to a watching world that needs to know, that needs to see who you are. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.